Welcome to The Dish, the show that uncovers the stories behind the world's most famous dishes. We are your hosts, Tomo and Megzi from foodfuntravel.com. Join us and expert guests for tasty facts, foodie secrets and more. In this episode, we investigate the history of a Romanian dish that has been around since the Roman Empire was in town. The Romans were such a fan of porridge and this whole boiling of grains that the Greeks jokingly used to call them pultifagonides, which means the porridge eaters. And you think back in those days, it was like an insult. It's like a your mama joke. <laughs> it's like your mama eats porridge. And you're like, they're like, yeah, I love porridge. And that's the end of the joke. It doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> We head out to the farm to try an authentic Romanian pork dish that honors the sacrifice of the pig. Pomana in Romanian is like a tribute. If an animal has been sacrificed, the dish that we're preparing is actually a tribute to that glorious animal. Plus, we delight in Romania's delicious national dessert. Crispy on the outside, but yeah. you cut into it and the steam just comes out of it and it's soft and wonderful inside. Yeah. But full of cheesy, ricottery type wonder. everybody welcome to the show welcome back to the dish yeah this is another one of our what to eat in episodes where we cover the stories behind a variety of different dishes from a specific location and today we're talking about what to eat in romania Mm, romanian food is the best one of the best they're all the best there's so many bests we are talking about romania specifically bucharest which is romania's capital or bucharest as uh, a lot of locals have said to us actually which was a surprise. I clearly wasn't paying attention. <laughs> I always thought it was Bucharest, but uh, apparently Bucharest is more of the local pronunciation. But we're probably going to say Bucharest throughout because we're used to saying that. We spent quite a few months living there over the last five years. It keeps drawing us back in with its hearty food. Yeah, but also it just seems that what happens in our travels, we just keep getting invited to go back there, which I'm totally happy happy to do. Every time they're like, oh, is it okay if you like start blah, blah, blah in Romania? And it's like, Yes. See you there in a heartbeat. I know what I'm eating. Yeah. Uh, We've also visited other parts of the country as well, though, like Brasov, Constanta, which is on the Black Sea coast, and other parts of the Black Sea coast as well, Danube Delta. So we've been around Romania a little bit, where there's still a lot more to explore, but we've definitely discovered some of their most important dishes. In fact, we wrote an article about the 57 best things to eat in Romania and drink as well. There's some drinks in there. And you can check that out on the show notes for this episode. has lots of extra stuff that we won't even get around to talking about today. We can't Uh, possibly talk about 57 different dishes today. No, we're just going to talk about some of our favorites and some of the best, most important ones to try. But you can check out the show notes with all those extra dishes and drinks at foodfuntravel.com slash Romania podcast. But yes, today we're going to talk about some of the most famous dishes. I guess Romania is a country where the, the cuisine's less unknown than a lot of other countries from around the world, right? Yeah, definitely. I think that particular region, I mean, once you've traveled around sort of Eastern Europe a bit, you do sort of see similarities in different countries and, you know, the cuisines. But I think Romania is sort of like the melting pot. It's like the middle hub that you get a lot of their own sort of foods that they do in their own certain way. 
Yeah, it has some similarities to a couple of other sort of Balkan, you know, Eastern European foods, but they do it in a Romanian way. And they have a lot of food that is just very much Romanian as well. Yeah, there's a lot of crossover, but they've done things differently and they've done stuff their own way as well. And that's one of the reasons that we actually really love Romanian food. And we love going back there to eat more Romanian food. Why not? Drilling right now. Before we get started, just to let you know, if you want to support the show and get some bonus episodes, there's quite a few already stocking up in our Podbean Patreon account where you can become a sponsor of the show from as little as $1.50 a month. So it's pretty cheap. It helps support us. You get extra stuff. We get to put more time into making podcasts rather than just our regular blogging work because obviously if it, if it pays more of our bills, we can put more time into it. That's exactly. how it works. Time, time equals money. Yep. That's and how it works. I really prefer to do podcasting than anything else because podcasting is super fun. See. Uh, so, yeah, from $1.50 a month, you can come support us and get all those extra bonuses. Just head to foodfuntravel.com slash extras to check that out, and you can find out what is available if you become a patron. Cool. All right, let's get started with the episode. First of all, just a little bit of a brief history on Romanian cuisine. As we said, it's a bit of a, bit of a melting pot of the Balkan region. Uh, Romania really is the culmination of all of the influences that are around them. So traditional Balkan cuisine, which is, of course, places like Bosnia, Serbia, Bulgaria, Greece, Croatia, that entire region, former Yugoslavian countries, definitely big influences from them. Also combining Turkish, of course, because the Ottoman Empire was in town for a long time. They were. They they decided to uh, set up shop for a bit. As you do, as you do. Austro-Hungarian Empire on the other side. As we said, they're right in the middle. So, yeah, Austrian, even German influences have come in from the west side of Romania. And also the Moldovan-Ukrainian influence. So the Russian sort of side, Ukrainian-Russian influences coming down from the northeast. And then you also have to remember that back pre-communist era, so we're like talking World War II, World War I sort of era, they were considered the little Paris of of Eastern Europe. And so there was a lot of French influence coming through as well at that time. So it's interesting because I think a lot of people look at Romania as this Eastern European communist country. And yes, it was for many years. But before that, it was this flourishing little Paris, little spot that, you know, food and culture and architecture was absolutely just blossoming. And all of that got crushed by communism. There was all this, you know, interesting cuisine and different foods and influences that were going on pre communist Romania. Yeah, if you head to Bucharest, the city, and and look around at some of the buildings in the very center, there's some amazing architectural history. And then you head outside of that, and of course, it's communist block, tower blocks everywhere. So it's quite sad that they sort of, they had their, their prime. They had so much potential. In like, the early 20th uh, century, and then it, it sort of got taken away from them. So yeah, it, it's I know, and I think a few, a few Romanians are pretty sort of, I don't want to say bitter about it, because I think everyone's very you know, hospitable and friendly and stuff like that. But I think there's a certain amount of like what could have been had it not been for the uh, introduction of communism to that region. So it, it's, it's pretty sad. But present day, you know, things are coming back, culture's coming back, food's coming back, and they're, they're really blooming. And I think Romania is definitely top, you know, it's some of the top destinations that people are considering. Like, you know, you look at Lonely Planet, you look at whoever's like listing top destinations. Romania is constantly hitting like, the place to visit for 2019 and beyond. It's affordable, the people are friendly, the food is actually really good. So we'll get onto that. But of course, before those more modern influences in the last couple of hundred years, 
going way, way back, uh, the Roman Empire was in Romania. And in fact, the language in Romania is still based on Latin. It's the only language in that entire region that is based on Latin. So if you speak Italian or Spanish, you might actually find yourself able to understand some of the menus. Yeah. Some of the words. Hey, we jumped in with that taxi driver a couple of months ago and he was like, you know, what do you speak? And we were like, we speak a little bit of Spanish. He's like, all right, here we go. And so we spoke Spanish with him. Doesn't speak English, but speaks a bit of Spanish. So yeah, it's it's quite incredible. Actually, you might find yourself understanding things if you speak any sort of Latin based language. In Romania, yes, you're going to find different dishes that are quite similar to neighboring countries that we've just mentioned from all those different cultures that have affected them. But who invented each dish? Some of these dishes that we're going to talk about have easier histories. Some of them go a little bit a little bit harder. Who invented them or did they just always exist for so long that no one can really prove it? Either way, all of the dishes we're going to talk about today have become part of the Romanian culture. They're, they're a big thing that you're going to find quite easily around the country. They've done their own twist on these things, even if they are being made in other countries roundabout. Another important thing to remember about Romania is actually it was not a country until 1859 when it was formed from the states of Moldovia and Wallachia. And then from after World War I, so it wasn't until after World War I, that other states from that region, such as Banat, Bukovina, and Besabira, became part of the country, as well as the famous Transylvania. So actually, Transylvania was a separate state. It wasn't part of Romania until after the First World War. So yeah, really, until the 19th century, Romania wasn't a country at all. It was lots of different states, most of them part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. It sort of, it bounced backwards and forward, whether they're independent, whether they're Austro-Hungarian. Uh, I'm simplifying Romanian history a lot, and I'm what? sure Romanians yeah. listening will be like, uh, it's a bit more complicated than that, and we, we appreciate that, of course. But yeah, what is modern Romania now did not exist before 1859 or really before World War I. Which is crazy. So it's a very, very recent nation that has crazy amounts of history. So it's really... Really quite a fascinating place to visit. Yeah, massive mix of history. So now, of course, Moldova has become an independent country after only like 150 years of being part of Romania. They were then separated once the once the communists left and the uh, Soviet Union broke up. Moldova decided to become independent. But a lot of the cuisine in Romania is still quite affected from that region. So some of their most famous dishes have had influences from Moldova. So absolutely, we visited Moldova. We might do an episode on that at some point as well. But a lot of the food there is sort of very similar from Romania. Yeah, same, same, but different. If we're going to go, you know. It's definitely different. Yes. But definitely different. Also similar backgrounds, similar sorts of dishes. So that's a, that's a really rough, brief history of what's been going on and why these different influences have come in because of all these different countries that have sort of been part of the Romanian history. Yeah, so that brings us up to about World War II. Then, as we know, the Soviet Union came in and took over that entire region, and a lot of different things were were squashed. So there were certain things that they weren't allowed to make. There were certain things they weren't allowed to have. And so this is why we're bringing it up to modern-day Romania and seeing this, you know, revitalization of a lot of these sort of traditional dishes. Let's jump into one of the most famous dishes. This is massively popular in Romania. And in Moldova, it's literally on every traditional menu. You can't avoid it and you shouldn't avoid it because it's amazing. Mamaliga. 
Oh, oh, you're starting with Mama Liga? Because it's in everything, so it's like, if you don't start with that, then none of the other dishes make sense. Okay, so this is literally one of my favorites, so that's why I was like, you're starting with this, it's my favorite. It has to be the most important dish in the region, it's something that's been around for a very, very long time. It's not just in Romania, it's also something that's popular around other northern parts of the Black Sea coast, around three countries, all the way around to Georgia through Ukraine, like it's something that people have. So what is Mamaliga? Let's talk about that. Yeah, because that's the important thing. So I think most people have no idea what we're talking no, about right now. Like what? Mama, Mama what? Mama Willa? Mama has what? So what? Mamaliga is pretty simple. It's boiled cornmeal. It's the Romanian version of polenta. It's a classic peasant food that has, oh, actually, it's often been a replacement for bread in Romania. It's like, it's easier to make. It's cheaper to make. It's a classic cheap budget food. But it sounds like like just a cheap dodgy starch, but it's not. Let's get this right. Polenta, which I adore, is really yeah, so it's a cornmeal, but it is so full of butter and cheese that it's just this heavenly gooey grain like oh, I don't even want to say grainy, like it's just it's, it's not once no, it's boiled it's, it's, it's soft, almost it's like a mashed firm. potato consistency, but firmer but just full of butter and cheese. And it's like, yes, I love it. I love it. It is fantastic. And it's- And I know there's a lot of people that haven't tried polenta. So if you get the opportunity, I would highly recommend it because it seems simple, but tastes amazing. Yeah. So it's cornmeal that's boiled, but the full mamaliga, it should actually also be mixed with white local cheese, which is a bit similar to feta, but not quite. It's the Romanian version. Salty. Salty white cheese. And sour cream. And yeah, normally butter as well. Normally butter is the way to go. Cheaper versions of it may not be made with butter, but butter is the one that you want. And this hearty concoction is today normally served either with like a pork stew on the side, which is sort of the Moldovan traditional. Well, if you go to Moldova, you'll get that. Their Moldovan stew with mamaliga is amazing. (laughs) But in Romania, it might be served either on the side of pretty much any dish. I mean, it's just... It is the classic side. You've got this on, on the side of everything. Uh, but it could also be served as a full course on its own. Traditional Romanian version of that might be called buls, which is mamaliga topped with a fried egg and extra cheese. Yes, we had that. It's amazing. Because you crack into the egg and the, the yolk just runs over the polenta and you mix it all together and it's gooey, messy deliciousness. Yeah, very simple, very affordable sort of whole course. So rather than just being a side dish, you turn it into a meal by putting a fried egg and extra cheese on top. It's very filling. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's dense. You are done after a bowl of that. Oh, totally. It's pretty fantastic. So although today Mamaliga is made from cornmeal, it's actually existed long before corn reached Europe from the Americas. It would have actually previously been made from millet flour. So you just boil some millet flour. It's just like chunky grains, basically. I don't know if I've ever had millet. It's chunky grains. Rather than being a very ground down, powdery processed flour, it's just chunky, raw, raw ground grains. All right. Yeah. And yeah, like boiling of grains has been a very simple form of creating any sort of porridgey, doughy sort of meal. Yeah, that makes sense. It's existed for a very long time. It's like Gruel. We were talking about gruel the other day. Grits. Grits, yeah. All of these things. It's like, what is the easiest way to turn grains from this horrible powdery stuff that you don't want to eat into a meal? You boil it. 
And in fact, historians reckon that the boiling of grains existed long before bread was in existence, because boiling is a much simpler process than baking. Yeah, so they had it as a mush, and then they took it to the next form to actually turn it into a, a bread, like to bake it. That makes sense. Yeah, so that's what historians reckon. I'm not a historian. I'm just repeating what I've learned. But it's quite likely that the Roman Empire actually introduced millet flour to Romania, or at least that's one theory, because there's not a lot of history from that time. So the original millet flour version of Mameliga in Romania probably came when the Romans turned up. And actually, the Romans were such a fan of porridge and this whole boiling of grains that the Greeks jokingly used to call them pultifagonides, which means the porridge eaters. The Greeks had a bit of a joke at the expense of the Romans. The porridge eaters. That they just ate so much porridge. That and you was think their back staple. in those days it was like an insult? It's like a your mama joke. <laughs> and it's like, your mama eats porridge. And you're like, they're like, yeah, I love porridge. And that's the end of the joke. It doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> so people have been making porridge for ages. That's the point. And the Romans probably introduced that technique to Romania, possibly, or maybe not. Maybe they were just doing it and the Romans turn up and went, we do that as well. This is great. Let's, hey, have let's be friends. Let's have a party. But still, the local version, of course, now mixed with cheese, sour cream, and perhaps butter, probably evolved over time, maybe after the Roman occupation. As did, of course, the newer cornmeal version, because corn didn't turn up to Romania until 1692. The first record of it being in Romania was from the city of Timisoara, which is the very far west of the country. And at that point, that was in the state of Banat, which I mentioned right at the top of the episode as one of the states that became part of modern Romania. And corn grows really, really well in hot and humid climates. And the Danube Delta, which is on the Black Sea coast of Romania, therefore made it the perfect place to grow corn, which is why today and for a few hundred years now, Romania has been a place that's grown lots of corn. And because of that, millet slowly got replaced by cornmeal. And that is why Mamaliga is now made from cornmeal instead. And we are all pleased that that is the case. Yes. Or I am. And as I mentioned also before, polenta or mamaliga used to be a bit of an alternative for bread because actually they used to cook it to a point where it became a lot firmer and you could actually slice it into slices like it was bread rather than the sort of sort of gooey mashed potato thing we described earlier, that sort of texture it has. Well, that makes sense. The one that we had in Moldova, he actually got like a bit of string and mm. he sliced the polenta with the string into like quarters. And it was very firm. It was a much firmer one. So that would sort of be the progression. So that, that does make a lot of sense. Basically like a boiled bread. Yeah, So you exactly. can use it with anything then. Yeah. It's actually such a typical dish in Romania and has been for such a long time that even Bram Stoker's Dracula novel includes a mention. Uh, the solicitor, Jonathan Harker, even before he met the Count, got acquainted with the local food. And an actual quote from the book, he says, this sort of porridge of maize flour which they made, said to be called Mamaliga. Oh, I didn't even know. I read Dracula so many years ago. You didn't realise. Before realize. I'd actually been to Romania. And so, no, I had no idea that I didn't put two and two. Now I'm going to have to go back and read it again. So, yeah, an actual reference to the word Mamaliga in the book, apparently. So, if you didn't realise already, Dracula's castle, or at least the castle that the book bases Dracula's castle off, is near the city of Brasov, just a few hours north of Bucharest. We actually visited there. It's called Bran Castle. Didn't used to be a castle. No, it was a checkpoint. Yeah, it was like a checkpoint sort of place where they... Border, border crossing. Yeah, like a border crossing, but it's sort of like a big stately manor that turned into a castle and eventually became Dracula's castle in the novel. 
So there you go. Mammaliga is so popular in the cuisine that it was even referenced in the original, uh, the original Dracula book. Very cool. Very fun indeed. All right, that's uh, enough for Mammaliga because we've got more foods to cover. Let's cover one of the dishes that I would say is probably, I mean, Mammaliga is sort of, it's sort of so popular that it's not even seemingly considered to be a national dish. No. Because it's like a national side dish. It's so common that people, it'd be like, you know, having mashed potatoes as being your national dish. And people are like, no, it's just mashed potatoes. It's just something we have. We have it with every meal, right? It's, so it's not something that's considered a dish, but it's everywhere. It's like the UK saying that fish and chips is the national dish. But if you just said chips are the national dish, it'd be like, what? (laughs) Now, come on, like fish and chips. Sure. That's a meal, but just just some chips. chips. Like we're not saying that. We're not going to say that. Um, So there's actually a, a couple of dishes at least that I consider to be a Romanian national dish. And this is Megzi's favorite. This one's called Samale. There is not a time that I will visit Romania and not devour some Samale. It's the first thing I want whenever I think about Romania. I love it. So Samale is boiled cabbage and then they put mince inside and they wrap it into like a little parcel, almost like your domare or something like that. And then it's like steamed and it's just amazing. Yeah. I mean, what they do is they add pork mince with rice typically. So it's like a mix of the two. Um, sometimes there's a bit more pork. Sometimes there's a bit more rice. It depends on the individual person who wants to do it. They add some herbs like dill and parsley. Lots of garlic. Mm-hmm. Very important. Keep those vampires away. Yes, exactly. That's Maybe that's why uh, the Romanians love garlic so much. And then they stew them. Once they've rewrapped them, they stew them a little bit longer. It's sort of a steam stew sort of thing. So mm. they, they stuff them in the bottom of a really big, heavy bottom pan. They add a little bit of water, but they don't, like, boil them. They're not boiled. A little bit of water in the bottom to help, like the Keep steam moist. create. So yeah. yeah, and then that boils around them. So that this nice soft cabbage is used once it's boiled enough that it can wrap around and make up these little wrapped these little parcels, little long sausage length parcels, but small, small yeah. sausages. Yeah. So if Fantastic. you've ever had like dolmados from Greece, so rather than it being wrapped in a vine leaf, it's wrapped in a cabbage leaf, and it's still very thin, sort of tubes. That you'll have, and they serve- a little bit thicker than dolmades, maybe about thicker. an inch thick, so like two and a half yeah. centimeters thick. And then they serve it with polenta, so it's yeah. like samale and polenta is like my perfect happiness. It just oh, it makes me so happy. Two top Romanian dishes pushed together. Now let's talk about the history of cabbage rolls because actually it's quite ancient, and there's a lot of controversy going on with cabbage rolls. What? There's controversy with cabbage rolls. I'm afraid so. Oh my god. Okay, let's go. So first of all, uh, the word samale for the Romanian cabbage roll comes from the Turkish word sarmak, which just means to wrap. So in one of our other episodes about Greek food, we were talking about domades, and domades comes from the Turkish word dolma, which means to, to stuff. stuff. So mm. yeah, to stuff, and this time to wrap. I mean, who knows whether it's stuffed or wrapped? Like, who knows? But with cabbage, at least, because it, it's, it's you can't really stuff wrapped. cabbage. Yeah. So yeah, this one is definitely to wrap. Some use this argument for the etymology of the word sama being invented in Turkey, meaning that cabbage rolls were invented in Turkey. But that's really, I don't think so. So it appears that cabbage rolls have been eaten in one form or another for thousands of years, long before there was a Turkey or any sort of Turkic Ottoman Empire. And actually, they likely evolved simultaneously in many different countries and many different cultures all around the world. So I've read some sources claiming that maybe cabbage rolls go back 
as far as the Stone Age, 15,000 years. What? Now, that's like one or two sources saying this is possible and then not a lot of other direct evidence. So, I'm not going to say that that's true. Yeah. But- some people are saying this is a very ancient dish because, I mean, cabbage has been around for a long time. They grow really easily. Cabbage grows easily. Yeah, really, really easy. So, hey, we've got this vegetable. How are we going to eat our food? We don't have cutlery. Let's use cabbage to eat it. Maybe. Yeah, but cabbage rolls, you still need to boil down the particular leaf to make it soft enough to, to roll it. So, it, you know, you need to have the existence of fire. You need to have the existence of learning to boil water. They definitely had that in the Stone Age. Mm. Boiling and fire, they had. Whether they're making cabbage rolls, I don't know. The next theory forward from 15,000 years ago comes to India around 2000 BC and the possibility that various tribes that were moving between India to Persia around Iraq, Iran, so the Middle East region, various nomadic tribes might have been pushing some culinary knowledge from India through to that region, which then may eventually have hit Europe. And so saying that Indian culture could have been making cabbage wraps and that spread from there, which is, is also completely possible. Completely possible, but there's not a lot of foods in Indian culture today that would really suggest that that's... Well, I mean... I mean, it They have cabbage and they wrap things. Yeah, yeah, true. Okay. But yeah, it doesn't seem directly related no. to a modern food. No. But it seems possible. And- Persia, yes. Like that whole like Persia influence pushing in, I would say yes, but I don't know about India and Persia. Um, I don't know. These are also sources that don't seem to have a lot of specific evidence. They're just saying like this is what is a theory. Yeah. It doesn't seem, to, it's not written down. It's not necessarily archaeologically proven. It's hard to prove these things archaeologically anyway. We found a piece of cabbage from 2000 BC. Unless you have cave paintings of people making a rolled cabbage yeah. with pictures of cabbage next to them. It's very difficult to prove it. So anyway, if it did come from Turkey and through Persia, could it have then been a Turkic tribe that pushed it through Persia straight through to Europe after that? So the first Turkic occupations into Europe started with Attila the Hun, and that is like Hungary. I mean, the history of Hungary, the country supposedly came from that sort of movement into Europe. That would have been around the 5th century AD. So much more recent than 2000 BC, only like 1500 years ago. Could cabbage rolls have already been in Europe before that? Oh, maybe, maybe so. Yeah, I've got some other evidence that might suggest they were. Uh, It's pretty hard to say for sure. And what about Romania's cabbage rolls today? Are they influenced from that Eastern version or were they influenced from the other direction or both directions? Probably both directions. That would be my opinion. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you have a bit of it like, well, I mean, it's all Asian, isn't it? So it's this whole Asian push into Europe. Yeah, but, but Europe different- was already a place and there was loads of stuff going on and they already had cabbage. Cabbage was still a thing. That didn't come, that did not come just from it's Asia. It's interesting because when I think of cabbage, I instantly think Asian. Yeah, but I don't know why. The it's- European style cabbage was already in, it, in mm, Europe. Okay. Lots of different types of cabbage around the world, but the, the big round cabbage as opposed to like the, the thinner Asian style ones, Napa cabbage, etc. Different, different cabbage. So that's why it's quite likely it simultaneously evolved in different places. Anyway, the Encyclopedia of Jewish Food suggests that cabbage rolls were spread around Europe as part of the Jewish tradition, starting at least 2,000 years ago, around about the time where Judaism was becoming a big thing. And that cabbage is actually praised by rabbis in the Talmud, 
a Jewish religious book from around that time. Ah. So they're saying because there is actual written evidence that they were talking about the importance of cabbage and that cabbage rolls were seemingly a thing 2,000 years ago, that the Jewish culture was already doing it. You didn't need uh, Tiller the Hun to come in in the 5th century, 500 years later than that, to bring cabbage rolls to Central Europe. Wasn't necessary. Everyone was already doing it. Another writer, Joe Nathan, a Jewish culinary history expert, stated that there are probably as many different stuffed cabbage recipes as there are towns in Central and Eastern Europe. Literally every single place around there was making their own cabbage rolls with whatever they had. I have to admit, I literally know nothing about Jewish food except for they make some mean goose in Hungary. <laughs> That's about all I know. They certainly do. So maybe, yeah, maybe I might need to do a little bit of more research into uh, Jewish cuisine because I, I, I have to admit to all of our listeners out there, I know nothing about it. So, yeah, this might be something we might need to look into to uh, have a look at what specific dishes came about through Judaism. Yep, we, we might even look into that in another episode. Go visit Israel. Hopefully one day. Yes, so Joe Nathan's referring to lots of different sort of recipes that were used by all of these different towns. Whatever you had, whatever you had there, you made your own version of cabbage rolls because the cabbage would grow and you just used whatever you had to stuff it with because why not? So in Romania, as I mentioned earlier, they love more garlicky flavors, bit of rice, bit of meat. That's the, the modern version, at least. And in Syria, for example, they also make cabbage rolls and they add cinnamon. So mm. cinnamon style ones feels a bit more Middle Eastern, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not as if we're saying the cabbage roll is one recipe. It's not. In fact, there are savory versions and there are even sweet versions out there where they add more sweetness to them. So what seems most likely is just that the local cabbage roll of every town was based on exactly what produce was available. And that's why... Some recipes may include more rice rather than meat because the meat maybe was expensive and it was a poor area that couldn't afford to put any meat in their cabbage rolls. Other versions actually focus mainly on just being stuffed with meat. Lots of meat, barely any rice or any other filling at all. Yeah, the version we had in Armenia was very meat heavy. That's why I liked it. Yeah, you like that one. So yeah, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's anything to do with what history was like, it could just be what the modern recipe is, has become more meat because people have more money. And they're like, oh, I wish I could put more meat in this, but we can't afford it. So we use rice. So who knows? But the herbs and spices that are added, they also seem to be completely based on what are the typical herbs and spices of that region, i.e. what can locals afford. Yeah. So yeah, that's what was going on. It very much seems to me like cabbage rolls have been something that evolved simultaneously. There's actually evidence to show that there were cabbage rolls in the Amazon basin they were making cabbage rolls down in Brazil before Europe even made it to the Americas. They just went, oh, we've got this vegetable. Once you boil it, you can roll stuff inside it. Yeah. So it was basically it. like, yeah, one and one made two. And, and everyone's like, this is what we do with this. It's just the same as the old tradition of barbecue meat. Like we make fire. We have meat. Should we eat it raw? No, let's put it on the barbecue. Yeah. Because what do we have? We've got meat and we've got fire. Let's do it. There was no need for that information to be passed on from other cultures towards different parts of the world. It was just like, well, we make fire to keep warm. What if I put the meat on the fire? Like everyone can just find that out at the same time. Yep. So, yeah. But either way, I feel like the Romanian version is one of my favorite types of cabbage rolls. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. As I said before, it's my go-to dish. As soon as I hit Romania, I'm like, where's the Somalia? 
get it in my face. So yeah, there we go. A history of cabbage rolls. Maybe one day if we can get some more information, we'll do a more in-depth version of the full history of cabbage rolls for a whole yeah, episode. Yeah, but it just seems like one of those really ancient dishes of that it just happened. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So talking of grilled meat just now as well, let's talk about probably what is the other Romanian national dish, the mitch. Oh, so this, this sort of dish is, is quite popular around the Balkans in very different words and names and styles, but uh, the Romanians are very, very proud of their mitch. Yeah, it's called mitch, which is spelled actually M-I-C-I, but pronounced mitch, and also sometimes called uh, mititiai which I can't pronounce and did it wrong. So we're just going to call it Mitch because that's <laughs> yeah. a lot easier to say. Both of these words in Romanian actually mean small ones. And Mitch literally is a small rolled meat. Uh, it's basically a skinless sausage or a sort of short kofta kebab that hasn't been skewered. These are normally made from a mix of beef, pork and lamb or a little bit of whatever they've got from those sorts of meats. And it's spiced with things like garlic, black pepper, thyme, coriander, and maybe a few other things. And as Megzi mentioned, there are very similar versions to this around the other parts of the Balkans, like Cevapci and Cevapi in Bosnia, Croatia, Montenegro, those countries. Um, they're all sort of like this skinless sausage yeah. kofta thing. The difference all comes down to the, the meat that they use and the different spices that they use, but it's a very similar sort of kofta as you said, non-skewered kofta meat roll. But of course, most of them use some pork for countries that aren't Muslim, unlike Turkey, which would have been making koftas for many, many years as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, who knows when the first kofta was made, when the first minced meat kebab was Aye, made. Yeah. I don't think we're going to be able to figure that one out very easily. No, I don't know if it was No, it's a very, Turkey. very ancient, very, very popular dish throughout and, I, and I'm going to say that the Ottomans spread that throughout that entire yeah, region. Possibly. So, yeah. But we don't know for sure. People, like we talked about, well, we're going to talk about hamburgers in another episode and minced meat for hamburgers. So who knows? When did minced meat first happen? Was we it don't the really Mongolians? Know. Was it the Mongolians? They were using meat inside dumplings. I mean, we don't know. We're going to look into some of this stuff in the future. But although this is definitely a dish that has existed all around that region for quite a long time, there is a legend associated with the Romanian version of this dish, Ooh. so specifically with mitch. And it is actually quite recent. It's from the early 20th century, from around 1900. And the story goes that there is a small restaurant in the area of Lipscani in Bucharest where the chef one day ran out of sausage casings and went, oh, I can't make any sausages for my guests. What am I going to do? And instead of sending all of his customers away and losing money for the day, he decided to take a little bit of a risk and just make the sausages without the casing. And that is how Mitch was born. I think it's a lovely story, but I think he's full of it. Maybe. <laughs> Knowing the food of the region, but it's a lovely tale. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know at all, but apparently that is something that was, that was written into Romanian history and mythology that someone just went, oh, I don't want sausages with casings anymore. Let's make these skinless ones. And I mean, we can say that it's ridiculous perhaps, but when we look at kofta kebabs, all kofta kebabs in Turkey are always skewered. They don't just throw the meat on the barbecue. It's That's always true. skewered. This is like a sausage. 
it is the same length as a sausage, whereas a kofta kebab is normally long and then chopped into pieces. Kofta kebab may be sort of eight, nine, ten inches long, a full skewer, whereas this is like a three inch, two inch, five centimeter sausage length. Yeah, no, I under- yeah, I understand, yeah. So, although it seems ridiculous, and although these sort of minced meats may have been influenced from the sausage culture of Central Europe, Austro-Hungarian Empire, or from the kofta culture of, of Turkey, the choice to cook a sausage without the skin on, maybe it did happen. Okay. I'm not saying it didn't happen also in lots of other places simultaneously or first or at a different time. I'm just saying that maybe that is what happened. They went, no, let's just throw the meat on and see what happens. I know, fair enough. So, yeah, who knows? But it became a staple of Romanian cuisine. Uh, Every single place that serves any sort of meat dishes that is a Romanian restaurant. Oh, Mitch is everywhere. There's not a menu that doesn't have Mitch on it. I don't know how they do it. I mean, really, the, the magic of sausages and the reason of the casing, of course, is it keeps the juices and the fat inside. Whereas these, I don't know, I think they just grill them so perfectly and they know exactly when they're done and they take them off and they're done. Yeah. And the juices stay inside without needing the casing. Exactly. They're never too dry. They're perfectly crisp on the outside, but nice and juicy on the inside. But I mean, they're not really that. They're not like crisp, crisp. No, but it's like, yeah, they hold together. It doesn't just fall apart. Oh, not at all. It holds its shape. No, no, it it stays in one piece. You chop bits off, it doesn't fall apart. Yeah. It's fantastic. But um, the actual restaurant that is said to have invented these in around 1900, Restaurant La Lodache, is still there. The building's still there. It's not a restaurant, unfortunately, but the building's still there. And you can go and visit it in Bucharest's historic center, although the building is sort of slightly falling apart. Maybe they'll repair it one day and turn it into a Mitch restaurant. That would be cool. That would be very cool. So yeah, precursors to this dish definitely existed all around the entire region. The Bosnian version is actually now their national dish. Oh, the chibafi. It's everywhere in Bosnia. You cannot Stuff help it into but eat like it. a pita bread kind of thing with some tomato ketchup on the side or, you know, some chips or whatnot. And that's the chibafi. Yep. But the Bosnian version doesn't have pork in it because of it's a Muslim not. country. Yeah. So I like the Romanian version better because I like <laughs> the pork. Yeah. <laughs> what you going to do? Uh, there you go. Each to their own. Speaking of pork, let's talk about another very important pork dish from Romania. Uh, for this next dish, we actually headed out of Bucharest and visited the Ograda Veseli animal farm, just south of Constanta on the Black Sea coast, very close to the Bulgarian border, actually. Now, this farm aims to replicate the traditional ways of rural Romanian living, the ways that people have lived for hundreds of years. And some people in the countryside, actually in Romania, still live This way, they actually still have a semi-subsistence lifestyle. There are still rural farms and farmsteads, homesteads, make their own wine. They grow their own crops. They have their own livestock, and they still live this way. Uh, Of course, this farm that we went to was set up more for tourists, but they are replicating those traditional practices. Yeah, their idea is to teach, or even just like modern city kids, from Bucharest and stuff like that, because the you know the difference is night and day. As we said, you know there are some people who are still living these very traditional lifestyles, but you hit Bucharest and it's like the big city. Like you can get anything you want, and everything's going on, and it's all just happening. And so there's a lot of kids that are losing this sort of idea of what a traditional lifestyle is in Romania, and they're really trying to sort of you know give this education to kids that about you know an agricultural life that they had for so many years in Romania. 
Yeah, Bucharest is really quite a crazy city because when you head out to other parts of the country, you see how traditions are still very much there. Bucharest has become quite international. It's become very expensive compared to other parts of Romania. If you head to rural Romania, there is it's very affordable living. Whereas in Bucharest, although accommodation is still pretty cheap, if you want to go to like a craft beer bar or something, you're paying like five six dollars for a beer. Yeah. You're paying almost Western European prices. Some of the hotspots are really getting up there now. And it's people are like, crazy. this is as expensive as London. They're like, I lived in London for years and this is getting as expensive as London. Yeah, it's just silly. Bucharest has become so international, but still a fantastic city for sure. But yeah, we headed out to this farm and we learned about the traditional practices. And we've got a little clip that we can play you when we chatted with them about what they're doing on the farm. My name is Irina. The farm here is called Ograda Veselie, which is like the happiness farm because uh, some animals here brought from more unstable environments and we're trying to create a perfect oasis for, uh, for kids and families and tourists and generally everybody that comes here, we can accommodate their needs in, in any way and try to recreate an authentic Romanian feeling of staying on a farm and just having a, a chill day with the family. Uh, without any interruptions from Wi-Fi or yeah, <laughs> Facebook yeah. or any other social media and just having a good time and eating traditional Romanian meals, basically. We're here about to have a sort of farm-to-table feast mm -hmm. from some of the local produce. And you were just telling me about the, the pork dish. Could you say the yeah. name of the dish and explain a little about the dish? The dish is called Pomana Porcului. And it's, um, it's a, a dish that consists of pork meat, but also uh, organs served with polenta. It's a very big tradition for us usually to serve it around important holidays like Christmas or Easter or just any general um, important holiday. And as a tradition, uh, Romanians would sacrifice their animals that they would grow on the farm. And they would always, for example, make the sign of the cross before they would actually sacrifice an animal. And pomana in Romanian is like a tribute. That, that's what it means. It's a tribute to the basically where if an animal has been sacrificed what the, the dish that we're, we're preparing is actually a tribute to that glorious animal so we're we're kind of uh, yeah, <laughs> respecting sorry. respecting the food that we're preparing it's like so, yeah. this is an important meal yeah, that is only for a meal. special occasion it's a special occasion meal yeah. yeah that's right and that's why we've decided to prepare it uh, for you today because it's uh, it's very traditional it's very rich it's very savory you're gonna you're gonna actually very much like it so so yeah, the dish we were chatting about and the dish we got to try is called Pamana Porcoloi. And the phrase is a little bit tricky to translate. It sits somewhere between pork feast or the charity or sacrifice of the pig. So as I react... <laughs> but no, that makes sense. Yeah. At the farm, that they, you know, they really are trying to honor their animals that they have there. It's not just about, you know, pigs are food. It's like they give them the best possible lifestyle and they honor them in the time. So th and then they honor them in their death as well and, and in giving us food and, and this delicious meal. And so, yeah, th I think that's a, a perfect phrase. Yeah, they use every part of the pig. And this specific meal, they take some of the choice cuts as well as a few of the organ bits and they just they stew it up. Sometimes they mix in a little bit of wine, definitely salt, of course, perhaps garlic as well. And that's pretty much it. It's a very simple farmer's dish that honors the sacrifice of the pig and served with mamaliga. Yes, it was delicious. I loved it. Yeah, it's so simple, but because it's really, really, really fresh, 
and so simple, you just you get the flavor of the pork. Yeah, it's not about hiding the pork. It is the pork is the star of the dish, and it's amazing. And I think we should also maybe even mention that the the chef that runs this restaurant is actually vegetarian. Um, that's his own personal choice, but he does choose to honor, as we said, you know, it's not only just honoring the pig in its sacrifice, you know, for it to be our meal. Like as a vegetarian, he makes sure that this pig um, is fully honored in, in, in every, you know, aspect of, of what it gives to us as a, you know, and gives back to, you know, to the people that raised it. So I don't know, it, it had this very special sort of feeling when we were there that, that just, they were doing right by their animals. Well, actually, they specialize in raising animals that have been rescued. That's part of their deal. Of course, they also specialize in eating some of those animals. But it's, yeah, they've actually, they go out of their way to take on animals that need some help. They give them a nice life for a few years. And of course, well, we can't hide the fact we don't live in a supermarket. If you get all your meat from a supermarket and you don't think about the fact that it comes from nature, well, that's your problem. But if, as long as you admit that and accept that and, and realize that at least these animals are having a nice, ni- a nice life, they live in a rural area, they are not in a box yep. for their whole life. I think as a meat eater, personally, I prefer to think or to know what I am eating had a good life and, and was treated well. I think the main issue that I have with agriculture today is this box farming. And I try to, you know, we both in, in the purchases that we make um, try to avoid that as much as possible. But, you know, it's good to see that people are trying to really sort of, you know, educate people about that because it really needs to be changed in this world. Yeah, mass farming is, is difficult, but we also appreciate that some people can't afford to buy organic or free-range sort of animals, but we try to do our best to buy them when we can do it. Yeah, it's a, a bit of a surreal experience. You are eating pork with the pigs around you. <laughs> It's a farm. Listen, so if it's you're really, a meat eater and you don't realize what you're eating, then, you know, don't be naive in what you're eating. You're like, if you're a meat eater, you're a meat eater. So just accept it and and run with it. Like, you don't get to be nan- nandy-pandy about this. No, it's a thing. It's happening. So it's a, it's a good eye-opening experience, but it's also, it's a really good historical experience to think about exactly how people would have been living around the countryside a, a few hundred years before before now. Uh, so, yeah, you can go and visit the animal farm Agrada Veseli. And because it's almost impossible to spell or pronounce for me. <laughs> show notes. <laughs> go, go check the show notes. Go check our article. Find the section on Pomana Porcoloi. And you can find the exact link for that there. And those show notes are at foodfuntravel.com slash Romania podcast. But, yeah, do go visit them. If you do make it to Romania, it's a few hours, a couple of hours outside of Bucharest, maybe three hours. If you're heading to Constanza, it's a lot closer to there. Exactly. Now, one final dish. Technically, this is a starter appetizer dish. It's made it all the way down to the bottom of the list just because, I mean, it's not really a dish that is necessarily in any way Romanian. It's very much a Balkan dish. But it's something I didn't want to leave out because it's definitely one of my favorite dishes and it's something you'll find on every traditional menu. And you should grab it as a little, a little appetizer. It's called zakuska. Oh, yes. We get this every chance. All we the get. time. All the time. Just go to the supermarket and pick it up. You don't have to go to a restaurant. You just get a jar at the supermarket. It's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it's wonderful. We have this for breakfast a lot. Yeah, it's very popular in Romania. It may have originally been Bulgarian. Some people say Bulgarian, but it could just be Balkan 
in it's general. It's very Balkan. And the just, whole region is yeah. so mixed now that it's very hard to definitely trace some of these dishes. Essentially, it is red peppers and eggplants that have been roasted directly on the barbecue. They get rid of the charred skin, and then you have this slightly smoky vegetable blend. You mash that up with some carrots, maybe mushrooms. Some of them come with mushrooms. Yeah. Definitely some garlic because it's Romania. They like some garlic. And it's just turned into a vegetable paste. You could call it baby food, but I call it man food. Yeah, but what you do is you mix that with a nice traditional local salty cheese. And mm, so you've salty got this white charcoal-y, peppery, eggplanty flavor that you mix with this salty white cheese. And it's just, this is breakfast. You put that on this bread. This is dead set breakfast food. Like, I don't even know what to have for breakfast in in the Balkans if it's not this. It's perfect. Toasted bread, not sliced, not like sliced out of a packet of bread. I'm talking fresh bread, sliced with a bread knife, toasted, nice layer of the white cheese, because it, although it's not spreadable, it's crumbly, mm-hmm. and it will spread enough because it's crumbly. And then you just top it with this zakuska, and the salty plus the vegetable sweetness and smokiness and the bread, perfect breakfast. Yeah. Love it. Or snack. Whatever. Or snack. So this is, this is one thing we actually really discovered. The first time that we were heading through Romania, we were on quite a budget. And we discovered that, you know, to actually have zakuska with the white cheese was exceptionally affordable. You just go to the deli and you can get it for crazy, You're getting crazy a jar of zakuska that will last you most of the week for one US dollar. So like four lei, which is the Romanian currency. Yeah. So that plus a block of white cheese plus buying some fresh bread every day for 20, 30, 40 cents. Yeah. You're talking about breakfast every day for two people for like 50 cents. Yeah. Luckily now, like last year, we went through Romania. I think we were in Romania four times last year. Our travels just kept bringing us back through Romania, which I was so happy to do. But we were very lucky that last time that we could afford to go to some of the higher end restaurants in town and experience that. But the first time we ever went there, we were just budget. Budget, budget, budget. And this is what got us through. And you know what? It's delicious. It's, I mean, it's peppers and stuff. It's reasonably healthy. There's no additives to it. Like you look at the ingredients and it's not like there's added sugars or added, you know. Doesn't need it. No. The sweetness of the vegetables, carrots and stuff mixed in as well. Yeah. So these, uh, these sort of zakuska, vegetable pastes, vegetable mixes, they're all over the Balkans, but they actually differ in every country. So zakuska... I mean, it, technically, it's sort of a Turkish, Turkish word. Ivar is another word for the same sort of thing. Ivar, if you're in Montenegro, is more pepper-based and less eggplants and carrots. It's pretty much just peppers turned into a paste. They're all fantastic. They're all sort of based around the same idea. You cook the vegetables and you turn them into this paste that you can keep. It's a way of preserving vegetables. Mm-hmm. You've got tons of vegetables, you jar them, and then you can use them for months to come. So who invented it? It's really impossible to say, (laughs) but they're all fantastic. Whether you're finding Zakuska or Ivar, they're both excellent. But if you're in Romania, Zakuska is the way to go. Our favorite Zakuska, I think my favorite at least, was at Zekse Zahana. Very fancy restaurant. I can't say that all their other food was my favorite, but their, their Zakuska was amazing. Yeah. Absolutely rocked my world. But you can just grab it in a jar at a supermarket. And most of them are at least good, if not great. So, whatever. Do it. And of course, if you want to get more restaurant suggestions, do head to foodfuntravel.com slash Romania podcast. 
and you will find all of the different restaurants that we've eaten, all of the dishes from this podcast, as well as lots of other dishes and restaurant suggestions. Yeah, I mean, as we said, we lived in Romania for three months, uh, about three, four years ago. We travel through there as frequently as we possibly can. So every time we go, we try a new restaurant, we try different places. So I don't know, of, of most places we've been to, I'd say Romania, like Bucharest, we've, you know, except for the new places that keep opening up, like we've kind of got Bucharest down. So yeah, go check out uh, a few of our recommendations and let us know what you think, because obviously everyone has a different palette and stuff. And we'd love to know if you guys think the places we've recommended are as cool as we think they are. So uh, let us know. Um, you can tweet us at Food Fun Travel on Twitter or email us at megzy at foodfuntravel.com if you're heading to Bucharest and want some recommendations or you've been to Bucharest and, you know, let us know about some places that you think are kick-ass so that we can check out next time we're in town. Mm-hmm. All right, it's almost the end of the episode, so it's time for dessert. We don't always do dessert because we're not massive oh, sweet people. I know people. what this is. I know oh, what this is because it's know. one of the only desserts I'll eat around the world. It is one of Megzy's favorite desserts. And actually, I'd say it's, it's definitely one of my top 20. I'm not a big dessert Max person. Max is not a dessert person, but she loves this. And it's called Papanashi. And it is the Romanian version of donuts. But Hell's it's yeah, more. It is. it is more than just a donut. This is not just a donut. This is not a donut stuffed with jelly. This is a donut that has been, typically it's boiled then fried, but it could be boiled or fried or, yeah, we don't know. It's sort of it's different. It's usually boiled then fried. Normally it's boiled then fried. But most importantly, instead of being stuffed with sort of some sort of jelly, some sort of jam, it is stuffed with a soft white Romanian cheese. Not the salty variety, but a sort of sweeter variety, a bit closer to cottage cheese or ricotta. And then it is topped with sour cream and a fruit compote. So the fruit is on the outside. And the best for me is with sour cherry fruit yeah. compote. So the thing that comes down to what compote you get is depending on what time of year you go. Romania is very much a seasonal country. So whatever's in season is what you're going to get. So uh, if you go in the summer months, you're going to get lo- a lot more of those cherries, which Sour is cherry really lovely. Berries. If you go a little bit later in the year, you're probably going to get a little bit more apricot and that sort of stuff. Yep. Um, either way, it's delicious. It's not a hard donut. It is a soft, doughy, spongy <sighs> Donut. Crispy on the outside, but yeah. you cut into it and the steam just comes out of it and it's soft and wonderful inside. Yeah. But full of cheesy, ricottery type cheesy wonder. It, it is really something that's really hard to describe, but something that you should absolutely try. And um, as we said before, I'm not a big dessert person. I don't have a sweet tooth. So this is something that I can happily devour without it being too like insanely sweet it like it hits that spot well it's because it's got those savory elements from the the creamy cheese Mm. so it's got the creamy but without being sweet and of course it also has the sour cream on top so the only real sweet element is the fruit compote yeah they don't throw loads of sugar on it no, that's, that's true. Yeah, it's not like doused yeah, the, in sugar. It's not like a regular American donut that's basically just dough covered in sugar. The sweetness comes from the fruit, and they add a little bit of sugar to the fruit to make a compote, of course. But, yeah, it's creamy, it's fried, it's got the crispy texture, and it's got that little bit of fruit for a zing, sweet and sour. If you've got sour cherry that's been sweetened, mm. it's a zingy. So, yeah. A trip Amazing. to Bucharest is not complete without having Papanasi at least once. No. 
and it can be found almost everywhere, but we're going to give you one of our favorite suggestions shortly. But very quickly, let's look at a bit of a history for the papanashi. So donuts, of course, have been around for a very long time. Quite hard to pin those ones down. It's a problem with some of Central European stuff. It's just a mix of everything. For thousands of years, it's pretty crazy. But the fried or boiled dough sort of tradition has definitely existed at least since ancient Greece and and the Roman Empire. So that has been going at least 2,000 years. Romanian papanashi, though, has probably been derived from the Austro-Hungarian tradition of making donuts, Mm. um, which, of course... That makes sense. Yeah, and because it was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, Transylvania was very much Austro-Hungarian for a very long time, and it's probably their influence that has influenced the current version of papanashi, and those influences have spread into places like America as well. That Central European-type donut that spread out to Western Europe and then across to America. That it, it's from the we're same tradition. We're going to have to do the history of the donut because where did the where did the circle come from? Like where? Did ah, well, let's not talk about it. But yes, hey, hey, there's definitely a reason why it happened, but where it came from, I don't have the answer for. But so the actual name Papanashi, and let's remember that the Romanian language is based on Latin. Latin. Uh, probably comes from the word papa, which means father, but in the context of food, it is said Potato? to mean children's food, uh. kids' food. So the, the food for kids. That makes no sense. I've got no idea why that's it, but uh, apparently that is. Because you can have papa, at, like papa can be potato as well. Papas. Papas. And that's Spanish. Papa, papas. Oh, so that's we're just Spanish, going Latin. not Italian. Uh. This would be Italian Latin. It's patata. It's patata. Yeah, patata. Because actually in, in Catalonia, it's patata. It's Patatas patata. bravas. Yeah. So it's patata in Italian. Anyway, so the name itself probably derived from the Latin papa, the father, but in context of the food product, meaning kids food. I don't know exactly why that means kids food, but apparently according to the internet, that is what it means. If I was a kid, I would happily eat it. Actually, as an adult, I happily eat it. But the distinctive thing about these donuts is they're not a ring donut with a hole in the middle. They're sort of a round donut with a semi-hole in the middle. And, of course, then filled with this creamy cheese. And then the leftover dough that was pulled out is also fried and turned into a little crown. It's a little crown. It's a little crown that goes on top of the cheesy bit. And so it makes it like this ball with a little hat on top. Yes. Which is pretty cool. So it looks awesome. And then with the fruit and the sour cream on top as well. Yeah, if you can't vision it, head straight to the show notes right now and check it out because literally this is like one of the most, every time I like share this dessert on Instagram, people go nuts because it just looks delicious, especially with that really hearty, chunky, homemade fruit compote that goes with it as well. Like you can't not love the look of this dessert. It's like donut times 10. Yeah. It's like donut with, yeah. Forget putting the jam on the inside, people. Put cheese inside and jam on the outside. It's better. Mm-hmm. Like, it really is. Or jelly. In America, they call it jelly. Really? It's very confusing. I mean, people in England, jelly is like this. Do they not like call this, it jam at all? Uh, I don't know. I think that's something else. No, oh. jam as in a conserved fruit gel product is called jelly, which is why peanut butter and jelly. That's... That's what it is. It's jam with peanut butter. Yeah. But we all call it jam. Yeah, we just call it jam. I don't, I don't understand the difference between jam and jelly. Compote is different from that because it is more of a fresh jam rather than a preserved jam that has come out of a jar. Yes. It's a fresh made version of jam. 
So anyway, our our favorite, and we've, we've tried quite a lot of Papanashis, not just in Bucharest, but in other parts of the country as well. And I have to come back to, it's not a chain restaurant, but it's a restaurant that has three or four branches around Bucharest. It's called Hanu Beralior Casa Soare. Well, actually, the first two words, Hanu Beralior, just means it's a brewery. It's a brewery. It's a brewery. Uh, Casa Soare is the location because they have a few So we'll totally have the link in our show notes, but this place is actually probably our favorite for Papanashi. Also, my favorite for Somale as Mm. well. So you can go there. The locations are really well set out and they have really good quality food. Uh, the service can be a little slow, but you know, it's welcome. A big, big, welcome to big Eastern place. Europe, and you know, it's fine. Just sit back, relax, take your time, and enjoy the experience. They're, generally, the food we've had there has been fantastic, and two of our favorite dishes really do come from this particular restaurant. Yeah, but they do other good stuff as well, and you can get a liter of wine for like nine dollars, which something. is why you should sit back, relax, and just enjoy the wine. Yeah. All right, that's it for what to eat in Romania. Of There's course. so much more. Well, this yes. is like just the highlights. There's so much more you can eat. We've covered like six things today, but we have a article with 57 things, including drinks, because we didn't even talk about Romanian wine. There's a lot of Romanian wine made from grapes that just come from that region that are not grapes you would ever have had in the USA or that would have even been exported around the rest of the world. No, nah, Romanian like, wine is fantastic. Definitely something that needs to be tried. Yeah, as well as some of their local spirits and lots of other dishes that you need to eat when you go there. So, yes, head to the show notes, foodfuntravel.com slash Romania podcast to find out about all those different dishes. Even if you can't make it to Romania, maybe you can make some of them at home. Give them a go. I think so. I think if you look them up on Pinterest, you would definitely find some great Romanian recipes and just give them a shot. But, yeah, it's definitely food worth traveling for. And if you really want to have that, you know, unique experience you need to go to Romania more and more flights are opening up from major destinations to get to Bucharest and really affordably too so if it's something you know if you're a little bit of a Dracula fan if you know if you like that whole sort of history Transylvania kind of vibe absolutely add Romania to your travel list for 2019 and beyond because it's a growing destination and I think you guys are going to really enjoy it and it's so affordable It's crazy, crazy affordable. Um, So, yeah, that's it for this episode. Of course, if you want to help out this show so that we can make more episodes like this, many, many, many more episodes, more often have them coming out like every week, for example, rather than just a few a year. I would love to do this weekly. It'd be great if we had the time to do it. And the only way we can do that is by having enough money coming in from the podcast to let us know that it's worth us doing it weekly. Otherwise, we have to keep working on our other businesses, which are also lots of fun, but we do love podcasting the most. So help us out. Donate from $1.50 a month. Grab some free episodes. We put some special content in our patron area in Podbean. You don't have to be a specific Podbean person, but it's a great app. We really love it. We both listen to all of our podcasts on Podbean because it, it's really, really handy. Uh, it's, got, it's just got great features. So head to foodfuntravel.com slash extras. And then you can find out more information about becoming a patron and helping us make more episodes. Yeah. Also, uh, if you are interested in having us look into a particular dish that you want to hear about, email us at megzi at foodfuntravel.com. 
and we can have a look into whether we can travel to the particular destination of the dish that you want to hear about and uh, do some research and give you a bit of a shout out for requesting that particular dish. All right, that's it. Don't forget to rate and review wherever you are. Five stars, please, if you enjoy the show. If you don't enjoy the show enough to give us five stars, don't listen to the show. <laughs> listen to something else. Come on. Life is short. Five stars all the way, please. We'll see you on the next episode of The Dish, and I can't remember what that is right now, but... It's going to be tasty. It's going to be tasty, whatever it is. Thanks for listening to The Dish. Don't forget to subscribe and keep this podcast on the air by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Also, come join our foodie community on Facebook in the Food Worth Travelling For Facebook group. Catch you next time.